Let's talk about dividend investing and equity income strategies in this, the 29th episode of the Retirement Planning Education Podcast. Welcome to the Retirement Planning Education Podcast, where you can learn all about IRAs and Roth IRAs, employer retirement plans, taxes, Social Security, Medicare, Portfolio Withdrawal Strategies, Annuities, Estate Planning, and much more. And now here's your host, Andy Panko. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back, everyone. And thank you, as always, for listening to the Retirement Planning Education Podcast. We got a special one today, a little, little off the beaten path. Today, Today's episode is going to be part one of two of uh, an interview I did with a friend and portfolio manager a uh, guy I know whose name is Chris Diagnis, who works for Hamlin Capital Management. Uh, Chris manages a, or is a co-portfolio manager of a, a dividend equity strategy where he invests in stocks that uh, have high and sustainable dividends, you know, good quality companies that, that pay good dividends. He invests in a portfolio that, uh, that invests in those. So I had Chris live in my office where he and I recorded a, a streaming video for the Facebook group, my Facebook group, Taxes and Retirement. We did a live streaming video all about dividend investing and equity income strategies piped into the Facebook group. So I thought that the content was great. Why not uh, strip out the audio from it and present it here to you all in podcast form so you can benefit from it too. Now, um, the video was about an hour and a half, so I'm breaking it up into two different podcasts. This, this, this one episode, you know, episode 29 you're listening to will be slightly longer than the next one, episode 20, uh, I'm sorry, episode 30, which will be the remainder of the interview and discussion. Uh, but, but I think you'll really like it. Now that there are, in the live video, we did screen share some, some slides and content. So unfortunately, you all will not be able to see that, obviously, here in podcast form. But um, I don't think there was anything that was too dependent on needing to see the visuals to uh, nonetheless, you know, get, get the gist of what Chris was, was talking about. So hopefully that's not too much of a burden. Um, again, so today, this episode, part one of two of my, my interview slash discussion with Chris Diagnes, portfolio manager at Hamlin Capital, talking all about dividend investing and equity income strategies and, and how it can uh, relate to or benefit uh, retirees. So without further ado, here is the first part of that video. Hope you enjoy. Hello, everybody. I'm back. It's been a while. This is Taxes and Retirement Live. It is not Wednesday. It's Thursday night, which is a little something new, but it's 8 p.m. Eastern still. Special guest with me today. Hold it. Christy Agnes. Thanks, Andy. Thanks Thank for Chris. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Uh, let me make sure comments are working before we get into it. Yes, they are. Cool. So someone says hello. Hello, someone. All right. I will uh, take your name off. I forgot to introduce myself. I'm Andy Panko, uh, one of the moderators of Tax and Retirement. Super special topic tonight. We're going to be talking about uh, dividend investing slash equity income strategies, of which Chris is a seasoned professional, salty veteran, <laughs> if you will. Um, this is also the first time you probably, you probably figured out someone here live with me doing this video. So uh, first time feeling out this tech equipment. The lighting's not terribly great. So apologies for that. Stick with me. But uh, the content will be awesome. I guarantee you that. So Chris, um, before we formally get into it and do the disclaimer, Chris is a portfolio manager at an investment management firm called Hamlin Capital that does uh, dividend investing and high yield or municipal bond investing. This formal bio, Chris is a CFA, Chartered Financial Analyst, 
partner and portfolio manager at Hamlin Capital, where he joined in 2001. His responsibilities are equity research, stock selection, equity portfolio construction. He's been a co-portfolio manager of the equity income strategy since 2006, overseeing all of Hamlin's separately managed accounts, mutual fund, and model delivery portfolios. Say that three times fast. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Prior to Hamlin, he was an analyst at the Municipal Capital Group at Merrill Lynch, where he was involved in the structuring of derivative contracts for hospitals and other tax-exempt municipal issuers. He holds the CFA designation, as I mentioned, from the CFA Institute. Lives here near me in central New Jersey, and we know each other. Uh, our daughters go to the same dance school, so we've been friends about five <laughs> years or so. Um, anyway, so I thought Chris would be a great, great guy to have on. Knows this stuff super well about investing, particularly equity, uh, dividend investing, which is, which is relevant to a lot of retirees. Um, I know I don't talk about investing a lot, not because it's not important. It's just not really the main focus of what I do. Um, but I know a lot of people have a lot of interest in investing in, in stock strategies and dividend stocks. So here you go. Perfect guy for it. Timely uh, time to do this as well. Why? Something happening in the markets? I, from what I've heard. Oh, <laughs> I, I should probably look into that. Um, Put your right. TV on. Yeah. Why? Well, something bad happening? <laughs> just kidding. I shouldn't joke about that. Um, before we get into it, this video is only general explanations and education. It is not specific tax, legal, investment advice. Before considering acting on anything you see in this video, first consult with your tax, legal, or investment advisor, which neither Chris nor I am. Also, here is a formal disclaimer from Chris's firm, Hamlin Capital. Uh, soak it up. We'll leave it up here for a few seconds. It is your obligation to fully read and understand all of this, right? Yeah. Yeah. And anything we discuss today is neither a recommendation to buy nor sell. Anything else? Uh, you got it. Yeah. Okay. Keep that in mind. Thank you, everyone. Past performance, not indicative of future results. That's a great one. Past performance <laughs> is never indicative of future results. Let's do Thank a compliance. Uh, what else? <laughs> Let's get the, get the uh, compliance hack in here. Um, okay, comments, good. Yeah, CFA does not stand for Chick-fil-A, although sometimes it'd be cooler if it was. Yeah. Uh, you also want to be able to work on Sunday, so that's not cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, Chris, I guess I've got a handful of bullets here to... to, to ask you, we'll, we'll see where this goes. Everyone watching, feel free to plop in whatever questions, comments you have for Chris. Um, let's just start dividend investing. Mm -hmm. What is it? Why do it? That's a good, that's a good place to start. So um, a dividend uh, simply is a cash payment from a company. Uh, most companies in the US, most companies in the S&P 500 uh, pay a quarterly payment to shareholders. Um, Dividend, uh, actually, there's some somewhere around 420 of the 500 now pay a, a dividend. Uh, so it is most of the S&P 500 okay. uh, companies paying dividends. Um, a lot of people are, are familiar and have become very familiar over the last couple of years with the non-payers. Um, many have grown very large, large growth-oriented sort of technology companies. A lot of folks refer to them as the... Uh, Fang stocks, which is an acronym for some of the big uh, tech companies, although I guess it'd be Mang now. Facebook turned into um, Meta. And meta, and <laughs> yeah, meta Mang. Mang, Mang M, if you include Microsoft. Um, so, uh, uh, so that is not what I do. So I invest in companies that that, that pay you a cash. And there's there's so many reasons to be thinking about uh, or executing this uh, this strategy in this way, and it's something I've been doing for 20 years. It's the, it's the only thing uh, that I do uh, personally um, with my own money. All my, all my money is uh, invested uh, at my firm in, in our strategy. 
uh, which I think is important for for our clients um, to know that I'm I'm fully aligned. But I'm also okay with it because uh, our strategy is a little less volatile than the United States stock market. Right. It tends to go up and down a little bit less, and and that lack of or that lessened volatility is is helpful at times and. And this is one of those. This is one of those times. Uh, there's a couple of times over the last 20 years where you're thankful uh, right. that, that you have a little less volatility in the in the portfolio. But also, <clears throat> um, think about the flexibility that you have uh, when you're collecting dividends. So, um, for me, as a portfolio manager and a and a shareholder, um, I can take that cash payment, right, and I can spend it. Uh, that. That's very helpful. Um, you don't have to reinvest it. You don't have to reinvest it. Uh, and as you get older and you get into retirement, having a cash stream you can count on becomes a little more important, mm. uh, such that you might value that company a little more highly uh, sure. if they provide you something you can count on. There's something that's very tough in the world of investing, and that is uncertainty. Um, uncertainty is a, a real struggle. And so investors will pay for certainty, uh, anything that they can have that's certain. Um, so, uh, you know, dividend, uh, you know, div- dividend stocks can, uh, can have a more stable valuation metric, uh, more stable PE ratios. Because uh, there's and, some known cash flow coming off of it. Because there's some known cash flow. Yeah. And, um, you know, not to get into the weeds, but uh, for someone who wants to value an investment, it's very hard to value something that doesn't have a cash stream. It's a lot easier to value something that you actually know what you're getting, right? right? So you can run models and kind of figure out if I'm getting $2 a year from this company or $3 a share uh, per share a year from this company um, and look out over the next five or 10 years and discount that back, you you can kind of figure out what it's worth. And man, is that relevant right now when nobody knows what anything is worth because of all the other outside forces but at least there's uh, that the cash market. flow. But at least there's yeah. that cash flow. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's that's why we do it. Uh, the you already mentioned something important, and that is also you get to reinvest it. Compounding of income is powerful. Yeah. And so, what can happen is those dividends are coming in. They're coming in weekly, monthly, and so okay, so the market falls. Three percent today, down twenty plus percent on the year. <clears throat> I don't necessarily need to go into my couch to find money to buy stocks today because dividends hit the portfolio, yeah. so I can take them and buy stocks that are on sale yep. uh, today with those dividends. And compounding is so powerful uh, over time. This is not this is not how you get rich quick. Um, no, and I don't believe there is an easy way to do that. <laughs> so this is pure luck. It's, it's a uh, lot of luck. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot of luck for sure. Um, it's one thing to make it happen. It's another thing to then keep it. Yeah, it's very hard, right? So, um, so having that compounding machine working for you uh, over time yeah. is, is such a great thing. And speaking of Mr. Fultz here, coincidentally, great question. Would you discuss the difference between a dividend and a total return approach? Now that this is kind of a, a big, lots of parts to this, and it's you know, covers a lot of things that we were going to going to chat about, but at a high level, maybe just bring it down to like an intro. What does it mean? Dividend versus total return? Why does it matter? Yeah. Um, so uh, total return approach 
would be uh, price plus cash payment. Um, and that is how I think about uh, dividend investing. So I'm not purely investing. Uh, and I think the way to do this strategy is not to simply collect your two or 3% a year. And we can get into that later. You know, what I look for, what we think about. Um, the idea is to collect it and to also watch your stock price go up over time. Um, appreciation. And, uh, you know, as we start to talk about why, why do I think this has worked over time? And I think we can bring up some slides, right? Where yeah. I can, I want to show a couple of things that might be helpful that are going to show the total return aspect sure. um, really from uh, that'll directly answer this question. Um, but that is how I think about it. So I think about uh, a dividend is not a bond. No. A company it's not contractually guaranteed to be paid. It's not contractually guaranteed in a way a bond is, but it's also not stay not flat until a maturity date. Well, that too. Yes. It okay. grows over time. And that's also very powerful. There are companies in the country who have grown their dividends every year for 60 years. So think about that. 60 years. Yeah. That is through that is through so many different environments. It is through uh, a brutal period in the 70s, um, the Vietnam War, 9-11, uh, a global crisis. pandemic, the financial <laughs> crisis, and the dividends of these companies, and there's over 50 of them out there, they go up every year. Yeah. Now, some years they go up 1% or 2%. Some years, and many of them even this year, have grown them 10%. Uh, wow. So that is a... Um, really, really, I think, important part of, of the total return aspect uh, because as the dividend goes up, the earnings are going up. That's why the dividend's going up. The price is going up. Yep. So that is how I think about it. I think this is a total return, uh, total return approach. Yeah. Okay. That, that, that definitely makes a lot of sense. Do you want me to pull the slide up now? We do yeah, have some, well, some fun slides here. For yeah, let's do that. Uh, so Great question. Dave Fultz. So it's... Um, Slide three looks like that. Let's see where to go. Hold on. Sorry, again there. No, that's all right. More disclosures. Again, my first first time uh, <laughs> trying to figure this out. I'm not at my normal desktop here. This is a little yeah. Tablet. Okay, here we go. Yeah. So <clears throat> this also answers your uh, you you asked the initial question. What is it? Why do we do it? Well, one thing I um, was uh, not getting into when you ask that is it works. It works really <laughs> right. well. Uh, so you, you don't almost, you don't even need me um, or anybody to th do this for you. You can blindly do this. So here is a chart by a research outfit called uh, Ned Davis and it's 50 years of data. They break out the S and P into companies that pay and companies that don't pay. Okay. So if you look at this data since 1972, the S&P is up 7.9% a year. And this is what? This is just like plopping a dollar in 1972, letting it sit. This is what happens? This is what happens. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, your, your return, your compounded annual return over that period, if you own the, the entire index, 7.9% a year. Yep. So the crazy thing is that, okay, just strip out those payers that I mentioned. There's 420 uh, of them today. Um, in the late 90s, it 
that number fell to 350 or 360. Because uh, of tech startups. Yeah, because a lot of tech uh, startups and um, a lot more buybacks. Buybacks were becoming more popular. Okay. So companies kind of went away from dividends a little bit, did a little more buyback. It has come back really since the global financial crisis. A lot more companies are paying dividends and and there's some tax reasons too that we can we can talk about why this is why this is happening too. And um, just stepping back briefly, you say buyback. So for uh, everyone watching, in a nutshell, company has cash uh, they don't know what to do with, or they want to reward investors or whatever. There, there's different options what to do with that cash. They yep. can they can do what they can give it as cash payments as dividends. Yep. That's what we're talking about. Or buyback is another way where they use that cash to buy shares out of the market, hence driving up the price of the shares. That's the goal to reward investors that way to grow. Uh, to grow their earnings per share. So if you reduce your share count, your earnings, flat earnings, lower Less share count, out. your earnings per share go up. Um, I don't love buybacks. I don't mind it. A lot of our companies do it, <clears throat> but it is not, it does not, I don't think it does not do for management what a, what a dividend does. Okay. Um, and a lot of times management uh, incentives are aligned to get paid on earnings per share growth. So one way to mm. do that is to reduce the share count. So I'm more of a fan of <clears throat> management getting paid on what what's called TSR, uh, which is total shareholder return. Okay. So that incorporates sort of everything. Um, what you're talking about is a company's capital allocation policy. So companies at the end of the year, they have leftover cash once they've um, you know, done a little bit of investing in the business and whatever else they've, uh, you know, paying their employees and yep. uh, R and D and all the sort, all the expenses they have, the overhead. There's usually cash left over. They could, um, and then a lot of companies have a dividend policy. They could pay that dividend to shareholders. They could buy back stock. They may have some uh, debt on the balance sheet that they want to pay down. Okay. They may be making a acquisition or want to make an acquisition. Building cash for that. So yeah, um, or they may do nothing uh, sit and hold that cash. Was it Apple 10 years ago or whatever, gotten a lot of flack from investors for just hoarding ridiculous amounts of cash and doing nothing with it? That is right. That was about 10 years and they, they initiated a dividend at that time. I think they got a lot of pressure from people being like, do something with this cash. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah. And I would, I don't want to go on a tangent about Apple, but. And this is not a recommendation to buy or sell Apple. Yeah. <laughs> I, mind. I don't, yeah, I don't follow, um, I don't follow it as an investment that closely, um, outside of a consumer of all their products. Um, but they still have a lot of cash, like yeah. an enormous amount of cash. And I was looking at this recently, their dividend, um, takes up about 16% of their cash flow. So what are they, wow. what are they doing with the, <laughs> the rest? With the rest. <laughs> They're buying back piles of their stock okay. <clears throat> but they've been doing that for years now and they're buying back they were buying back piles as the valuation over the last couple of years with everything else went very high so was that the best you they have nothing else to invest in there's just a lot of questions i would i would have um on why they were yeah. using the cash to buy back uh, to buybacks at all time highs <laughs> at all time highs. Sure. Okay. Um, and now, uh, another reason I don't like buybacks is uh, ha had they not done that, their stock is now, what is it down this year? Probably over 20%. Okay. Well now you yeah. can do it. Right. But they just used a hundred billion dollars in the last year to buy back stock. So prices. very hard okay. to time the market. Um, and even from a management perspective, right. you know, they have more information and knowledge than we ever could as outsiders. 
and they still can't do it. Still don't get it right. Yeah. They cannot get it right. <laughs> uh, so, um, okay. yeah. So what I was uh, pointing to here is you can you can just strip out the dividend paying stocks and you just owning them. Uh, only the dividend payers. You're up. You're up nine point three percent a year. So that's the blue line for everyone watching here. Okay. So that's the blue line, right? Exactly. So it's a it's above the S and P, uh, just owning the pure dividend payers. Yeah. And then if you own the dividend growers, um, and most of the blue line is probably also in the green line. Okay. Um, if you pay a dividend, you're trying to grow it. So uh, most years, uh, outside of recessions and slower economies, most companies are 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 increasing their dividend. Uh, but that top line is where you want to be. Right. It's where I want to be. It's what I'm looking for. And those companies are up, uh, that, that winds up 10.4% a year. So that is total return because the yield is not 10.4%. The yield right. is probably three, two and a half, three over this period. The yield of dividend is two and a half, three. The yield and dividend. So you're collecting 3% in yeah. cash. The rest is appreciation. Okay. Um, so that is your, that is your total return. Now what's interesting here is the non-payers. Uh, so if you, if you only own the non-payers and, and, I got to tell you, most people spend their time trying to own the non-payers, like trying to find yeah. the next great. Because I think those are ones that save my cash to try to grow and then hit it big. Right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so many of them don't make it. So many of them. So it is a tough strategy under most normal periods over history uh, to own those companies. And, and they've returned 4.4% a year. You know, a couple of years, by the way, that was probably two and a half or three. So the last, yeah. the last couple of years... <laughs> really help that line, but it's still just a, a little blip there. So you can, see, you can see that pop. I guess this is what, this was pandemic ish time, right? The, the huge rally. Yeah. It's probably, about, probably yeah. 19, 20, 21, you know, just a huge move in um, growth stock, non, non-payers. Yeah. And, and that wasn't because their earnings were going up. That's because their, the valuation of those stocks was going higher. Yep. Right. Some earnings growth for sure, but a lot of uh, valuation going higher. So that's, okay. that's, you know, that's why we do it right, right. there. Now, um, maybe just pop to the next slide. I can figure this out. Here we go. Uh, nope. Nope. All right. This. Yeah. Yeah. Zoom out a little bit. Yeah. So this, Good. this slide um, shows you kind of, again, that it works. This is a longer look back uh, all the way back to 1928. This is conducted by Professor Ken French at the University of Dartmouth. So this is on his website. Anyone could actually Google this, look it up. He's got all this great data there. And he he uh, rebalances dividend portfolios. So uh, he has he has no um, bias on any of this. He just puts the data there. So, yep. um, so you could take this data and look at it. And he looks at uh, once a year, what, what do all the companies on the U.S. stock market exchanges yield? Okay. And he puts them in order from low yield to high yield. So this is just a once a year rebalancing and then strips out the non-payers. And once again, you can see the non-payers underperform all the paying groups. And it's almost as if the more you yield, the better your returns over time. We highlight the last two columns in green because my firm, Hamlin Capital, is focused on the higher yielding end of the spectrum. Right. So, you know, the S&P is probably in quintiles uh two maybe over time you know one and two and so we want more yield than you can get just by owning the market okay. uh, today we were just looking the s&p yields about 1.75 percent uh so we try to get close to double the yield of the s&p <clears throat> you can see here that over time quintiles four and five offer the best total returns but it's actually 
it's actually not quintile five. It's not the highest, highest yield. Um, there's risk in the highest yield. It's, okay. it's the companies that offer a lot of yield, but it's not so high that it's, that's too good to be true. Okay. It's almost like accidental high yield. Um, so there's good valuations in that uh, group. Uh, higher yield can mean lower valuation. It's like, uh, it's like and, a bond. And when you say yield, you, you just simply mean the, the dollar amount of dividend paid per year divided by the share's price. Yeah, I should have right? started with that. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. So a yield uh, is the dividends per share divided by the share price. Okay. So uh, if you have a $100 share, you know, one share is 100, 100 bucks, you get a $5 dividend for the year. Uh, it'll pro- practically paid in quarters, but whatever, $5 total for the year. That's a 5% dividend yield, which is high. Should, I should have started with that figure. That would be so good. Uh, um, but just so everyone knows, that, that's what yield is in the context of this conversation is how much dividend does it pay per share price. Yeah. Okay. So you can own the S&P and get paid. Over yeah. time, the S&P has paid about 2 to 2.5%. Two Okay. Um, but now you said one in three quarters. Now it's about one in three quarters, and it bottomed at the very beginning of this year at about one and a quarter, uh, okay. one point three. That's very low. That's that's in in essence that that's a sign. Um, share prices. Share well, price I, is too high. I guess there's two things, right? It's it's a function of dividends going up or down, share price going up or down. Yeah. Dividends probably didn't change much, if at all. They're very share prices stable. went up that much more, yeah. so the yield the yield compressed. Okay. Yeah, so the yield got very small. Um, and we haven't seen anything like that since 1999, uh, 98, 99, or tech like 2000 area. tech bubble. Okay. That's when the yields plunged from two to one, yeah. uh, just like, just like this, very similar. Um, so I, I'm sure you all saw the news and CNBC and wall street journal, whatever stock markets down substantial amount, right? Uh, it's slightly off topic here, but, um, not to say it's good or it was expected that the S&P or the broader stock market would drop as much as it has, but it was long overdue, frankly, like you said, that the share prices were on par with the level of prices, level of valuations they were late 90s, which was, which right. was a tech bubble. So yeah. um, this is actually sort of good that this is happening now and that it was overdue. How much further it goes, that's, that's to be determined. And when it stops, that's to be determined. But yeah. uh, Anyway, so, so one metric was dividend yield just to show historically how high share prices were. And you can see that as by how low the dividend yield was because prices were that much higher. Yeah. Anyway. That's one great thing about um, one, one great thing about dividends and, and investing in a dividend strategy is that dividends, they actually don't change that much. Yeah. So share prices can be very volatile. I mean, it, almost in every year stocks drop. 10% at some point during right, the year. Right. They may not close the year at that, but yeah. They may not close yeah. the year at that, but at some point during the year, they drop 10%. Every five years, they fall 20. Yep. <clears throat> um, dividends don't do that. So, uh, and in, and actually historically, dividends grow 6% a year. A little, bu- maybe a little above that now, 6% a year. Um, that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, 6% a year. Most people don't get 6% raises a year. Right. But the, U.S. stock market gives you a 6% raise every year. Um, and I was actually looking at this today. You might find this very interesting in terms of stability of dividends, but the worst um, impact to the dividend stream in the in the market was 08-09. I okay. mean, going back like 50, 60 years was 08-09. Yeah. The dividend at the worst point, and it was pretty brief before they started growing again, fell 24%. They were cut by 24%. On average, you mean? 
on average. Okay. So literally what the S&P pays you. Oh, got it, got it. So the S&P actually has a quarterly dividend if you collect all the income of the yep. 500 companies every quarter. <clears throat> and at the worst of it in, in 09, the, the last 12-month dividend fell 24%. But what did the market drop? 65, yeah, 60, 66%. So that was awful. That's that's very rare. Um, but the dividend, which was also really bad, was only 24%. Right. In 2000, the recession before that, they fell 8% at the worst. And the market was down 40 or 50, I think, yeah. percent. Across so years, again, way more stable. And in the 89-90 recession, they dropped 2.5%. That's it. Okay. So a very stable part of the investment world is the dividend per share yep. purely of the S&P 500. So, um, so back to this slide. So just what I was showing is kind of where we do our work. Um, and you can see here quintiles four and five, which are quintiles, just five divided, you know, divided by five is how he breaks it out into buckets. So he calls them quintiles. Yep. Um, so the highest two groups uh, have the best performance over time. Again, that is total return. That is, 11.59% a year for quintile four. So let me just try to answer your next question. I'm going to anticipate. You're good. I don't even know my question. You're good. You're really good. <laughs> I'm going to anticipate. So should I take this? Let me, let me go back to uh, take this off for now. Uh, maybe keep it on. Cause I might, might point to one more as I, as I answer your next question. Yeah. I'm going to point to slide six. You can even bring it up if you want. That'll be, this the is like uh Johnny Carson with we do that thing with like try to guess what's uh yeah slide six where am I at yeah there you go this one so your next question um was gonna be or should have been well this looks great why is it, why is this happening you know why why shouldn't everyone do this and why doesn't uh, why does dividend investing or this type of strategy seem to produce results over over time um there there are t we don't know the answer to that I wish I did but there we are two. Theories. Yeah, I have some ideas. Uh, and now that I've been doing it for 20 years, I've had time to develop ideas. So. <laughs> I should hope so. Um, there are two reasons, we think. One is that when you own those companies, they do better in down markets. Okay. Not every down market. Nothing is foolproof in the investing world. But more often than not, the generous dividend payer outperforms a down market. Some of it is just math. The market drops 10%. Dividend paying stock drops 10%, but pays you three. It's down seven. Down seven. Yeah. It's okay. a little bit better. Um, the other thing that might be happening is that other investors, when the when things get rough out there and the, you know what's hitting the fan. No, what? The, <laughs> the, the, last, the last thing other investors might sell is their cash flowing dividend paying stocks. They may still producing something for them, still producing something. It's bringing in cash flow. It's giving them something to compound or to use. And so for, so for those two reasons, they seem to be a little more stable or they go down a little less and you know how the math works. It's really in your favor here. The better you do in a down market, the, the easier it is to get back. Right. Yeah. So if you fall 50, you have to be up a hundred to get back to zero. Right. Right. <clears throat> so any sort of percentage outperformance in a down market is hugely okay. helpful. 
So that's that's one that's one reason we think they do better over time. The other reason is a little less tangible. It's a little more theoretical. So so bear with me here. I will. Um, thank you. You have nowhere else to go anyway. So <laughs> I'm locked in. <laughs> um, and uh, there's been studies that have been done that suggest uh, the more you pay out as a company does not actually stop you from growing. So so our okay. companies pay out 30, 40, 50% of their cash flow. They still have a lot to grow. Yeah. A lot to reinvest in the business. So we've seen some studies that suggest the more you're paying out, the faster you can grow earnings. And that should not make sense to most people. You should want to retain more to grow faster, but in practice, it doesn't work that way. And so, and we think, and this is our hypothesis. This is why we think this works. Dividend actually functions as a governor on the capital allocation process. So when a management team is committed to making this payment over time, I'm trying to give like a <laughs> mysterious eyebrow. Yeah. When a, when a management team is committed to making this payment over time, they, it's not like a buyback a buyback. You can do it and then not do it and then do it and then not do it. Yep. You don't do that with the oh, dividend, right, right? right? So you're very committed to it. In fact, you want to grow it. So you have discipline forced on you. You have to make good decisions with whatever cash is left over at the end of the year. The and market does not like surprises or drops in dividends, correct? Like they, they will penalize you severely yeah. if you cut your dividend. Yep. Um, and the, the real the secret is to avoid that situation altogether. You, um, the market knows before you cut. The market might know before the management team knows that you're going to cut. Markets so like that. markets are smart. So a stock will fall 30, 40, 50% into the cut. You actually might want to buy the cut. When they actually finally announce it, it's like a relief. Right. Everyone knew that was coming. Okay. Um, and now they have less of a financial burden on them. Um, so that's sort of like a, 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 a weird thing. But to your point, management teams do not want to cut it. They want to keep growing it. They want to maintain it. So they are going to be extremely disciplined at the end of the year when all the managers come into the boardroom and tell the CEO and the executives, we want to do this. We want to invest in this. They're, they're not going to do everything. They're going to pick the best. Be selective, right? Be very right. selective. So that makes sense. that's sort of our hypothesis. That's why we think these, uh, this strategy has, has worked over time. Now, I'm just curious if this chart here we're looking at, and then we'll toggle back oh, yeah, and see if there's any questions. Yep. So, so this is showing showing down markets, performance of dividend paying stocks versus the S&P as a whole. Yeah. Um, if, you were to, if you were to flip this and look at the up years, you mentioned before dividend paying stocks are usually lower volatility, meaning um, you know, lower lows and not so high highs. I said that wrong. Less extreme highs, less extreme lows. Yeah. So if you were to like, Flip this and look at up markets. Yep. Would you similarly see S and P nudging a little higher on average? Uh, and I guess is that because of growth stocks, those that don't pay dividends, you know, those that do well are a little more speculative, tend to do better when there's euphoria and, and favor, and tend to do worse. Yeah, on the downside. You just you asked you just asked a great question and one that I have actually never looked at for the broader universe, but I've looked at it for for us. Okay. Um, we'll talk about what exactly you do. I'm, I'm sure people are curious, like what, you don't have to give specific names, like how many names do you cover? What do you look for? Yeah. We'll get there. Yep. Um, 
And yes, for us, that is exactly how this works. Okay. So it's called an, what I would call this is a downside capture. Yep. So when the market falls, dividend paying stocks, this is not, this is not my portfolio. This is not our portfolio, but when the market falls, dividend paying stocks, uh, they don't go down. They don't go down as much usually. Yeah. The downside. So they get 73% of, of a down quarter. And again, as I was saying, um, oh, and by the way, they, they outperform three quarters of the time in down quarters. So that's good math. Um, where, you know, in this business, you just want to be right 50% of the 51% right. <laughs> of the time. So you can be right 76% of the time here um, in the down quarter. Uh, that's, that's, that's great math. The downside capture is uh, way better than 100%. So you're, you're doing better in down markets. And, and so uh, our performance over time would show what you suggested, which is we don't go down as much. We don't go up as much. Okay. But the way the math works over time is that's pretty good. Right. Those are good ingredients. Yep. Right. And that's presumably what, what, what people, one of the things they want in this strategy. That's right. That Equity-like returns with a healthy dividend, less volatility, yeah. ideally, than the broader market. Yeah. Some might, some might say equity market returns with, with bond-like risk is what they would what they would like. Oh, they would. Uh, that's very hard to. That's very hard to do. But yeah. but there is some truth to how that works. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let me just uh, see any other questions here before we keep keep rolling. Oh man, oh, there's a lot of stuff. All right. Um, how do we want to do this? Um, well, let's get to the. A lot of people want to know about about taxes. I, already, okay. I saw I saw another. That's right. There's I saw another question. There's there. a question about what's qualified versus not qualified. What's qualified and and doesn't this mean you pay more taxes? Um, yeah, yeah. You yeah. These are you. Wait, nothing is free. Uh, sure, own them in a tax deferred account. That's the that's the best thing to do. <clears throat> um, it's like an IRA or Roth IRA yeah. where you're not taxed as it happens. Um, but I. I've had no problem and, and we have sig significant number of our clients are, are just taxable accounts. Um, and they, they want a lower volatility equity type return over time. Um, and they pay the taxes. Now, one thing that's very important to understand is that dividends historically, they've always been taxed at your marginal tax rate. Um, yep. like for all of time, and mar high marginal tax rates, um, if you go back 40, 50, 60 years, were 70, 80, 90% at the high end. Right. Not they, a lot of people paid it, but those that did, it was 90 plus percent. Yeah. Highest tax those that can yeah. afford to own stocks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and that, that number can, has come down over time. Um, but it was not actually until 2003 when uh, George Bush, the second George yep. Bush, um, had a carve out dividend tax rate of 15%. Mm -hmm. That was very low. Now that's, that's great because the claim over time or the concern over time from companies has been, and shareholders has been, this money's already been taxed Yeah, and now it's got to get taxed again. It's taxed at the corporate level. Yeah. Now they pass it out to shareholders, shareholders then pay tax again yeah. on it. So that was one of the incentives behind this. Yeah. Right? yeah. Exactly. Um, so, uh, and also to get the economy going back in 03, yeah. oh. uh, when we were coming out of a very tough period. So, um, so 15% was the rate and that that's a very low rate plus your state tax. Now that changed during the Obamacare uh, legislation and, but they kept 15%. Um, but they made a new rate of 20. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. It's at a higher level. 
um, but but there's a new 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 rate of twenty yep. percent um, plus uh, if you're at a certain level three point eight percent Obamacare. Yep. <clears throat> so uh, so yeah, there's there are taxes. Um, uh, I, there was a question about uh, qualified versus uh, ordinary dividend payments. M- most dividends are qualified. Qualified means you pay the fifteen or twenty percent. Um, the only dividends that are not qualified where you would pay your ordinary income rate, your marginal tax rate is if the company itself has a tax shelter of some sort. Okay. So the main one is a real estate investment trust. So a REIT. Uh, So REITs don't pay uh, taxes up to a certain point, as long as they're paying out 90% of their earnings in the form of a dividend. But then you as a shareholder, don't. You have to you bear the burden of that tax. Yeah. So REITs are good to own in IRAs. Um, there there are certain REITs that I'm also okay owning in a taxable account because yeah. I think they have growth prospects. Sure. Um, and great businesses. Uh, but tax wise, uh, they they are better and if you if you can do it yep. um, in a in a tax deferred account. And and the for, for the dividend to qualify for the lower fifteen or twenty percent tax uh, as opposed to your normal income tax. I forget the specifics, but in effect, it needs to be a U.S. company, right? Like you, you can't own local foreign shares of some Japanese company that pays a dividend. That's not going to be qualified for U.S. taxes. I believe it needs to be a U.S. company or at least like a foreign company listed in the U.S., something along those lines. There's a recapture tax, um, a repatriation tax of some sort uh, for a foreign company. So if you're a U.S. investor and you own a European pharmaceutical company, um, th- you get paid... Uh, you don't get the entire dividend. Right. It's like a it's tax withheld. It's tax withheld. Okay. Um, you can reclaim some of that on your tax return. So it's on your 1099. Make sure your accountant yep. has that. Uh, and and there are certain countries where there's an agreement with the U.S. and you can reclaim it. You can reclaim that. But that not to get too technical. About and that, that is qualified. Uh, that is qualified. Those are qual- whatever's left are. is qualified. Those are qual- yeah. Okay, guys. You're, you're not tax, tax credit on your 1099. It will show some of. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Stepped away from the microphone a little too far. Sorry. <laughs> um, so uh, let me think about so so a bunch of questions. Maybe um, Chris, just give you a moment, and then we'll we'll run through all these questions. Uh, lots of great questions here. Just high, high level, specifically, what do you do? So we mentioned dividend stocks in general. You know, mm-hmm. the S and P has however many hundreds of dividend payers. Your firm, Hamlin, specifically your strategy that you're co portfolio manager of. Um, give us a flavor. How do people access it? How many individual names are in it? And and what uh, is the universe of names you look for? What what do you, what qualifies to be in your portfolio? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So uh, as I mentioned, we have been, we have been doing this since 2001. So 20, 21 years Um, in, and in 2012, we, we started a mutual fund. So we have a mutual fund. Anyone can, uh, can look that up. It, it's the same portfolio that we manage for our for our clients uh, in a different in a different format. <clears throat> um, so we own a what what we what we call what we try to call a high quality list, okay. uh, concentrated list of of good dividend paying companies. Um, call it twenty five to thirty companies. So okay. So whether it's a mutual fund or you're managing money directly for a larger institution, yeah, twenty five thirty names, same names, okay. yep. Uh, and and that is that is how we do it too. You you can come to us directly. We have separately managed accounts. You pick the custodian, we'll Schwab, Fidelity, wherever you want to do it. Um, we manage the portfolio. Um, 
and then and then the mutual fund yeah. uh, and then we're on cer- certain institutional platforms as well as is our as is our fund okay. um so that's how to that's how to access it so uh yeah 25 to 30 names um we're not going to be 50 or 100 names probably, okay. probably could do that um but then just go just go you know buy an etf and right. do that yourself and i'm not going to I'm not going to make ETF recommendations. There's plenty out there. There's um, there's a lot of large ones now because they've taken in so many assets over right. over the last couple of years. Um, uh, some of the Vanguard ones and those. Um, so very very large ones. Um, so yeah, call it twenty five to thirty high high quality. So so how do we do it? <clears throat> the key to this strategy is to buy companies that are not at risk of cutting the dividend payment. Okay. Uh, it should be stable and it should grow over time with, with a growing company. Uh, that, that is the key. So how do you, how do you make sure of that? So we start, um, by separating out the yielders. Uh, so look at, look at the bucket of companies, looking at the bucket of companies that, that actually pay a dividend yield and get rid of those. Oh, don't pay it. Okay, right, right. So very simple. Start first screen. Process. First yeah. screen. Yeah. Then I would say, as I mentioned earlier, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna look for companies that yield more than the S and P five hundred. So S and P today yields one point seven five. We we want to offer we want our portfolio to offer one point five to two times the yield. Historically, okay. our portfolio has yielded two times that of the S and P. Okay. So when the S and P was two, we were a little over four. Now we're three six, three seven, okay. something something around that. Growing dividends. Um, so that's so that's just the beginning. You know, that's what we're looking for. Um, I would call us. Uh, well, let me give you the other criteria, and then I'll get into it. So, um, second, you need to be a dividend grower. So we're really only interested in companies that are that's a priority that have grown or look like they can grow. Both. Okay. Yeah. So um, most will just screen for history. Uh, okay, ten that's years of history. Um, now we can buy it. Uh, we're happy to own the company that just started to pay it if it's big enough yep. uh, of a dividend payment. Um, we want to own the next grower, you know, not just the one that's done it for, yeah. for 25, 30 years. Happy to own that if it fits, but sure. also want to own the next great, uh, they call them an aristocrat. If you grow the dividend okay. for 25 years, you're a dividend aristocrat. 25. Okay. I heard the term. I don't know. It's 25 years. 25. Okay. Do you know what they call the 50 year grower? <laughs> uh, King. I don't know. Correct. Is it? Yeah. Oh, look at that. Uh, Andy knows something. All right. <laughs> dividend cool. King. Yeah, Dividend King. I, I was in Atlanta meeting with a uh, Dividend King uh, just yesterday. Um, 65 years of dividend growth from a company. So, so a cool part of what Chris does. Uh, we were going to do this last night on Wednesday, but he had a trip, won't name where, uh, had a trip to visit a handful of companies. So he meets with management of these companies. Um, that That's how you know in-depth the analysis is and understanding of, of the companies in which you invest at Hamlin. Uh, I thought that was a cool story. Yeah. You know, it's names everyone's heard of. If you were to rattle off the, the companies you visited, it's household names, but um, I think it's cool to get access yeah. to places like that. And that is my job, and I'll come back to that uh, that in a second. So I mentioned yield, I mentioned dividend growth, and then importantly, the, the dividend needs to be sustainable. Okay. Uh, so there's a couple of things you can look at for this. We think the most important things are, first, the balance sheet. Mm-hmm. Company cannot have too much debt on the balance sheet. You have to pay that before your shareholders. Right. The, that has to be paid back. Structurally has to happen first. Structurally yeah. has to happen first. And and when you have debt, you have rating agencies involved. Yep. They will downgrade you if your debt's too high. That means your cost of debt will go up. 
that just messes up everything for right. the dividend. That impinges your ability to pay the dividend at that point. So yeah, very much so, and and to grow it and to finance future growth and et cetera. So, so we don't like too much debt on the balance sheet. Um, fourth criteria: the company has to generate cash flow, free cash flow. That's how you okay. pay a dividend. Right. Kind of need cash. Yeah, you need right. cash. Um, we like we like more than the dividend. Um, so a company should have coverage, uh, have a have a buffer. Some people who do this will talk about a payout ratio, which is uh, dividend divided by earnings. Okay. And say I want to have less than you know fifty percent, sixty percent. They might have a range. Um, and so I look at that, but there are some things that cash flow shows you that earnings may not. So I just think it's a cleaner, pure number. It's very hard to fake. Right. It's very hard to massage cash flow. So we like for you know one and a half times at least kind of okay. free cash to dividend coverage. That means they've paid it for everything and then they have money left over even after, after the dividend. dividend. Yeah. And they can sustain a downturn uh in business yeah. and keep paying the dividend. That's that's critical. Um and then lastly just a uh, sort of all-encompassing uh, metric uh, of a good business. How do you define a good business? There's Everyone will define it differently, but we, we happen to look at uh, return on equity, which is just a okay. metric net income over shareholders' equity. Um, and if you're earning, if that metric is in the low teens or higher, we think that defines a good business, you know, over a period, okay. three right. to five year sort of That's period. One off. Yeah. So, um so that's sort of the, that's just the starting point, yep. you know, so anyone can do that. You can go on any of these services and hit a button and get a list of names that meet this. And you should probably just buy the whole thing. Um, and they're, I'm sure there are ETFs that are now doing that. Sure. Uh, exactly what I do. Um, once you have that list of uh, names, we then, that's when we go and do the work. That's when I'm doing okay. the research about Dig this business yeah. and digging in and making sure um, a couple things that we're in a good industry here that has grown over time. I'm going to keep coming back to growth because one way to avoid the death sentence, the yield trap, the stock that yields too much but can't pay it is that the company is growing. Yep. Okay. That the business is growing, that the industry is growing, that there's room for them to grow within the industry, to take, to win share, market share in the industry. Um, so these are things we're we're looking at and trying to understand. And we talk to we talk to managers, we talk to people who used to work there at the company, we talk to competitors, we we just encircle the company trying to understand um everything about it, uh why it's a good business, sure, and how are they gonna grow into the future. It doesn't have to be Google type growth. Uh, but it's got. There has to be a reason that this company is going to grow and 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 organically. It has you know, to be grow. a discernible path. Has to be a discernible yeah. path. Um, and and then we meet with the management team and we make sure that whole capital allocation discussion I outlined with you. We make sure we understand it and that there is room um, that this that the dividend is going to grow over time, but that the management team is highly focused on that. Right. But they want to return that cash to shareholders and they want to grow it, uh, right. grow it over time. So those are some things we're looking for. Um, and then what is it worth? You know, cause you could do all this work and get super excited and find out it's really expensive. Everyone already knows that oh, it's a great company. Everyone knows that already. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's where you, 
you do the valuation work. And that's what I was saying about a dividend paying company. It's a little easier to value. Yeah. You can, you can have, you know, the models as good as the inputs, but there are some known inputs. You kind of know what it's yielded over the last 20, 30, 40 years. Actual cash delivered to shareholders. Yeah. And you kind of know how the business is growing. And so, and you know what the current dividend is. It's a little easier than guessing what are earnings going to be next year. Right. Because the market right now is telling you earnings are not what you think they're going to be. That's most likely why, why the market stocks follow earnings. Yep. So they're smart. Uh, so they know earnings are probably too high yeah. and they're coming down. But you can't say that about the dividend. Most dividends are probably not going to get cut sure. unless this turns into 0809. And I'm not willing to predict that now. Right. So we'll ask you again in a month. Yeah. So you can model, you can model this, you can have a price target. And so, if we if we see we 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 talk about sort of twenty five percent total return upside if yep. we see that after we do all this work it's it's probably going into the portfolio okay. uh, and twenty five percent total return over how long we think it's worth that now we hope to receive oh, okay, that in the next twelve months twelve months that's what we're thinking about okay um, and hopefully that keeps getting revised higher uh, because we don't trade stocks. We do this crazy thing right. where we buy them and then we hold It's crazy. Them. It's insane. It's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Some would say we're holding on for dear life. Um, but you are, you are, we are investing yep. um, and hopefully watching these businesses do what we think they should do over time. Okay. Um, it's just easier that way. It's too hard to time it. It's not tax efficient to be getting in and getting out. Um, I'm sure we would make the wrong decision if I was trying to get in and get out, but just sitting there and holding on. Uh, that I can do. Um, and I assume you reevaluate your thesis over time if and when something changes with the world, with the company in particular, with management. Every quarter. At some point you got to, so okay, this isn't what I thought it was anymore. So Every quarter we yeah, did it. Okay. So every quarter, um, and that's again why we don't have 100 companies. I couldn't yeah, do that right. every quarter, but with 25 to 30, I can. Um, I have some help, but, right. um, but we do that every single quarter after they report. Okay. So they report, new information is out. Let's take a look at yep. what we think it's worth. What changed? Anything in the thesis changed? Check it to what we thought. Update the price target. Is there still pretty good upside? Um, and and the what you find out is that things things don't change that much. Yeah, you know, but the market companies. does, right? It but, will, yeah, but the the thesis, um, the actual business doesn't doesn't change that much. Because they're solid companies in the first place. That's so, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's that's really how that's how we um, that's how we do it. And then um, I haven't been able to travel as much because of uh, COVID. Something happened. Here. Yeah. Um, but, uh, companies are, uh, welcoming you back in. So as a shareholder or a representative of a lot of shares, um, I can sit down and meet with, with management teams and CEOs, CFOs, investor relations folks. Um, you know, when I, when I knock on their door and and show up. So yeah, that's what I was doing this week and last week. Right. All right. Okay, everyone. Well, that's a wrap for part one of my talk with Chris Diagnes about, dividend investing and equity income strategies. I I hope you thoroughly enjoyed it and found it uh, useful and helpful so far. Don't forget to come back next week, check out episode 30, where uh, I will be replaying the second part of the audio of of my talk with Chris. As always, if you you like this podcast, please be sure to like it, subscribe to it, give it a thumbs up, give give it a healthy review in whatever podcast listening platform you use to access it. And if you do like this this podcast and what's discussed, you'll you'll definitely want to check out my other content sources, my Facebook group, which is Taxes and Retirement, 
which is where this uh, live video with Chris was, was originally aired, my YouTube channel, Retirement Planning Demystified, and my newsletter, Retirement Planning Insights. You can find links to all three in the notes to this episode. Thank you as always, and I will uh, see you next week for part two of my talk with Chris. Take care. The information discussed in this podcast is only general explanations and education. It is not specific tax, legal, or investment advice. Before considering acting on anything you heard here, first consult with your tax, legal, or investment advisor. Thank you. Thank you.